Hello and welcome to the first instalment of three very special shows. Fulham and Aston Villa are so close to the Premier League that they can practically taste the frustration of knowing that they'll never finish in the top six. Caroline Barker is here, Matt Stanger is here, and all we're going to talk about is this one incredibly valuable football match. This is the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Caroline Barker, hello. Hello, Ian. Sorry, apologies that I'm a little bit sunburnt. I had a weekend in Whitstable. <laughs> None of this will make one sense. Anecdote. <laughs> That'll be like an Easter egg for for if you listen to all three previews. Matt Stanger, hello. Hello. Good. We're all in. Aston Villa, Fulham. Let's get cracking straight into this, and let's go back to May 2016. Premier League stalwarts Aston Villa are a flaming clown car. Wheels falling off, engine howling, crashing through a safety barrier at 100 miles an hour with clowns clinging to the side and screaming immortal terror. Two years and one Steve Bruce later, they're 90 minutes away from a return. Matt, what the hell's happened? Bruce has totally transformed them, hasn't he? He's brought them that stability that they finally needed. Uh, seems to get on well with the owner, Mr. Shear, and uh, they've made some shrewd signings, invested in experience. I think something that's going to be absolutely crucial for this playoff final is that every single Villa player who started the second leg against Borough, awful game by the way, uh, has played at Wembley before, and six have tasted playoff final success there before. So you look at Bruce and you think, there were questions over him last season. There were questions over him when they won only one of the first seven games this season. And now he's aiming for his fifth promotion. And it just shows that if you have a little bit of patience and a bit of faith in your managers, especially someone as experienced as him, who was, uh, had to deal with um, horrendous personal tragedy as well in the last few months. I, I think he's such a fantastic manager, Steve Bruce. And he's someone who is probably very underrated, really, in this country, considering he spent quite a bit of time outside of the top flight, perhaps. But you look at the way he's brought on players like Jack Grealish this year, the way he puts an arm around players, the way he cares about them, wants to improve them. I think that's just a sign of a good manager, and Villa are lucky to have him. Yeah, Caroline, uh, leave, even leaving aside the fact that he's lost both his parents in quick succession, and he's still out there leading his team through mm. what has to be, I think, the most stressful experience that English football has to offer this uh, this playoff final. Even without that, he's done a hell of a job just to transform what was an absolute mess of a football club. But it's not stressful, if, as Matt says, if you've been there and done it before. If you're going to build a car, you get someone in who's got plans on how to build it. You get a whole assembly line of people that have put together a car before. And that's exactly what he's done. So he had that plan when he came in. He said, this is what we're going to do, which is where you have to give a bit of credit to the owners for saying, all right, go get on with it. You deal with the footballing side of things because I trust you. So they've gone out, identified him, said he's the one that's that's taken clubs up through the playoffs. He's the one that's got clubs promoted from this league. Let him go and do his job. Now, if you're a manager and you've been brought in by the owners because they know that you've been there, done it before, then if you're a player and you've come in, you know that he's done it before, you've done it before, then you're going to have that trust in him. And that trust is so implicit in that, he says before the the last game before the playoffs, I'm going to change the team up and bring what's it six or seven changes he made for that final game before going into the playoffs because I know it's going to work and all will be well and I know who's going to be the plan. It's like he has gone through every stage of it and said, right, this will happen the last game before. Uh, this is what we'll do in the the playoff first leg. This is what we'll do in the second leg, and here's what we're going to do in the final. So you've trusted him completely because you've given that faith in him and it's worked. Um, but it didn't start very well, did it? I know this because um, I tipped Villa to win the title 
um, and John Terry to be the player of the season. And um, I, I was soon making a public apology in this in this very office for getting it so horribly wrong, or so I thought, because they only won one of their first seven league games. Then they won nine of the next 12. Then they wobbled again. Uh, in December, they went five without a win. And their response to that? Seven wins on the bounce. So consistency is a problem, um, but perhaps not character, which isn't something we've said about an Aston Villa team in a while. No, character definitely hasn't uh, been a problem. Uh, team full of spirit. And obviously when you've got players like John Terry, uh, Chester as well, who's an ever-present throughout the league season at the back, real leaders in that team. And uh, I think that consistency largely comes down to the fact that they've lacked a regular goal scorer this season. I mean, one of the big games at the start of the season where it finally started to turn around was the Norwich victory where they won 4-2. They had Andre Green playing that day, who's sadly been injured most of the campaign. Keenan Davis was uh, tremendous in that match. But Keenan Davis, still a youngster, obviously doesn't have the experience really to be able to score goals every week. Jonathan Codger, again, struggled with injury, that ankle injury that was uh, aggravated on international duty. I think he's only got one this season. Scott Hogan. I mean, Scott Hogan kind of sums up really the challenges that Bruce has had because any manager would look at Scott Hogan when he's at Brentford and think, that's a player that we need in our side because he's a brilliant striker, great movement, great finisher. Uh, signing for £12 million. He struggled with injuries last year. This year, he's only got six goals. Hasn't really worked for him. And Bruce has uh, thought his way around those problems. And uh, he's got Albert Adoma playing sort of as an inside forward on the left. And he's been uh, the biggest goal threat for Villa. And they've shared that responsibility around. Now, one of the things people will think, Caroline, if they haven't been keeping too close an eye, is that Villa have basically bought this season's performance. But that's not actually true, is it? I mean, granted, they did spend 84 million quid in their first season down. Uh, Not all of it wisely. But this season, it's just been two and a half million pounds with, I think, 18 million coming back. Um, Steve Bruce has made the most of the loan market, hasn't he? And I'm... I am going to continually bang the drum for Albert Adoma because he's done the, the Harrow Borough Barnet route and he's he's come through and he's one of those again that y- you just look at and think he wants to play for Steve Bruce he trusts in Steve Bruce they had rotten luck with Jack Grealish with that pre-season um, mm. injury which I mean some at the time and then he's done in the run up to this he's done some quite extensive interviews on on the surgeon turning around to him after he had the kick in the kidney saying you could die, you might die, and, and what that, that meant to him. For him to come back from that too and to show the quality that we know he's got. But for me, it's, it's the keeper, Sam Johnson, which actually in the two games against Fulham, we kind of, this season, we've kind of seen the best of and, and the worst of. But I, I've tired of that the number of times that we've sat on, on Channel 5 and we've done the analysis, and it's actually him as a, as a keeper that stood out in, a, in the majority of the games. Well, we, we've, over the course of this season, lavished praise on uh, Dan Bentley at Brentford and Bart Bukowski of Ipswich, um, who were fantastic. But Matt, has, has Sam Johnston got a case as one of the best keepers in this division? Absolutely. I think he's only 25, is he, as well? So, I mean, the age he's at, he has mm. such a bright future ahead of him, especially when you look at that England set-up for the World Cup this summer, not knowing who the number one is. And he'll be up there with Pickford and Butland for uh, for the remainder of his career, I'm sure about that. Uh, he's uh, He took a painful set of studs to the thigh against Borough, which uh, probably showed his bravery in that first half of the second leg. And then there was that sort of calamitous moment towards the end where should he have been taken off? What the rules now? You know, it's uh, perhaps he was lucky to escape that. And Tony Pulis said, "Well, obviously, it was so late in the day. Even if he had been sent off, probably wouldn't have changed the result." But 
He's he's one of the players that's been there before as well. He won promotion with Preston uh, back to the Championship a, a couple of years ago. He was actually a bit of a spectator in that game because Preston won 4-0 against Swindon, so I'm sure we're hoping it's a similar outcome at the weekend. Caroline, Steve Bruce has already said that of, of all these loanies, it, like, he really wants to sign everyone up for next season. Um, I mean, that's a sign that he's he's got a squad not just to get out of the Championship, but he reckons he's got one here that could sustain itself in the Premier League as well. See, I told you, it's part of the plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I would say eight of those players I could see doing a, a job. Just on what you said, Matt, about Sam Johnson, whether you think, had he been playing in the Premier League, you think maybe you might have got an England call-up? I think it's difficult because Nick Pope's been tremendous since coming through at Burnley, but uh, he definitely will be around that squad, won't he, for the, for, for the future? It's so, uh, with Wolves, we could definitely say, had they won promotion where they'd, they'd finished top half for the Premier League, we, we all said that, right? Um, with Villa, and I know we'll come on to Fulham, Fulham's football has definitely been the better football this season. They, they have, at times, been the best footballing side in the Championship this season. Fulham, I expect... If you took the two squads, in my mind, would finish higher than Villa in the Premier League. But I don't. I think Villa, with this this current squad, would finish above the relegation places. Um, I just want to take it back to Jack Grealish uh, because in these games, you always tend to get a lot of people who haven't watched any football league uh, games over the course of the season, and we'll certainly have a few listeners today who might not have, have uh, heard much about it. They will probably be baffled by that um, little burst of Jack Grealish for England talk that, that there was a few weeks ago. Um, when he was last spotted in the Premier League, he was perceived by some as a kind of stick-thin, binge-drinking slip of a boy with the hair of a P-51 Mustang pilot. <laughs> What's changed? <laughs> well, this is his stage, isn't it, for Jack Grealish? Because uh, he played brilliantly against Liverpool in that FA Cup semi-final that Villa won under Tim Sherwood a few years ago and I think that was only a week after he made his first start in the Premier League as, as a teenager and Bruce said it the other week he said that one of the biggest challenges for Grealish at Villa has been the fact that he's not had any stability so many different managers different regimes and Bruce has been able to work closely with him and really get the best out of him and um, Big thing this year has been the fact that he's bulked up a lot. He he, uh, he looks a lot stronger now. I know he's worked closely with the strength and conditioning coaches at, at Villa. Uh, as Caroline said, after he came back from that horrific kidney injury in pre-season, uh, seems a lot more focused off the field. And then, obviously, when you've got players like John Terry putting an arm around you and saying, listen, kid, you, yeah. you should be in that World Cup squad. You could have been going there, had things worked out a bit differently for you. And Miller Yedinak as well. Just learning from that experience is vital. There's a lot more responsibility that he's been granted as well because, you know, in the, the FA Cup games, he was a sort of flighty winger. There wasn't, you know, he had responsibilities, but not as much as he has inside as, as a kind of number eight. Yeah, he's completely transformed the way Villa have played lately, the second half of the season as well. They yeah. had to go a lot more direct in the first half of the campaign and we discussed Keenan Davis, they played him quite a lot as sort of a, a target man up front. But Grealish now playing playing inside, uh, number eight, number ten. Let's not get Michael Cox about this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's been absolutely crucial to, to, to unlocking uh, the opposition. The way he played against Borough, especially in that first leg, was brilliant. It's a, The interesting quote from him, though, I think this week is saying that he thinks Steve Bruce is a nice bloke and it kind of just didn't expect a player of his age to be saying that about a manager of his age and experience. He talked about him FaceTiming him when he was in hospital um, every day and that he just stayed in, in touch with him. So Steve Bruce gets Jack Grealish and Jack Grealish as a result is is playing where Bruce wants him to and doing what Bruce says, which I don't think he always has. 
Okay, um, one more thing just to touch on John Terry, Matt. Uh, we spoke a bit about him uh, last week in the playoff preview. Um, it's fair to say this gamble has paid off. Oh, completely. And I think they'll be looking to renew his contract, won't they? 37 years old. People question whether he still had the the, str- the strength, the power, because he has struggled with injuries last few years at Chelsea, but he's been such a rock and such a leader. And I think for, for John Terry as well, it just vindicates his decision to carry on because he could have been a one-club man. He, he could have retired after leaving Chelsea last summer, but he decided to take the challenge on like he has done throughout his career at Villa and it looks like he could lead them back to Premier League. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out williamhill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag #YourOdds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org okay, and when the fun a look stops, at stop. Fulham, uh, like Aston Villa, they started appallingly. At the end of September, they were way back in 14th, just two wins from nine, and yet in the second half of the season. They barely lost a football match. Caroline, what the hell happened? They discovered a front three or at least a way of of playing with three key players who I think have just left everyone in their wake. They are are fast, um, they have good quality and they have Mitrovic. What so I I know clearly all eyes will be on Sessignon and and they have been even with that that talk of him maybe getting an England call up but I think for me Mitrovic has been uh, what was it Roy Hodgson said about his his display against Derby it was a little bit like Alan Shearer and and you see that he just stood up and said I'm going to be the player for this uh, occasion Newcastle I think it was talked that they were going to offload him for around about twenty million or something if Fulham go up. They've got to hang on to him, haven't they? He's 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 a player that I just think shows everything of uh, Jakanovic that you want to see on a pitch. It's kind of the manager on the pitch is is in him. Yeah, I think there are two very different Fulham teams. The Fulham team that we watched um, uh, in January, I think, who were you know fun and fast and kind of I mean, they they scored four goals and yet you still walked away thinking, God, if they get a striker, they could really be something. <laughs> well, they got that striker in Mitrovic and it changed everything. Yeah, they were a little bit fortunate in that game, weren't they? Because Jordan Spence got sent off and uh, that sort of changed the entire complexion of that match against Ipswich. But uh, I remember watching them early in the season when they only got a 1-1 draw at home against Bolton. And that was the sort of game that was crying out for player of, of Mitrovic's physicality and attack because Bolton sat so deep that Fulham couldn't get around the back of them. Kamara, who he signed in the summer, who's done pretty well, it has to be said, this season. Uh, He did well against Derby on the right uh, the other week, but he plays more on the shoulder of the defence, and when teams sit deep against you like that, you need a target, man. You need someone who's going to put themselves about, link the play up and gradually build it forward, and Mitrovic is that player. Um, Of course, there was a very big change off the pitch as well. Um, When we go back to... uh, I think when we covered Fulham in the early days of this show... Uh, it, it was quite alarming to see how much discord there was uh, in the background with uh, Craig Klein, who was a close friend of Tony Khan, the son of the owner, and was given full control of, of transfer policy, which which didn't go great. A piece in The Independent um, saying, Using his own secret algorithms, Klein vetoed good signings and made bad ones, much to Yukanovic's exasperation. It all ended in tears. Shahid Khan was finally persuaded to sack Klein last October, and Klein called the police. 
Since Klein's departure, club sources have noticed how much more relaxed and happy Jukanovic is. Uh, he no longer has to fight battles over transfer policy, and he is no longer imposed with players he has no idea to do with uh, what to do with. Well, that could be absolutely crucial in Fulham's season because would Mitrovic have joined? Was was Klein still there? Would Matt Target have joined, who's allowed Ryan Sessignon to push forward down the left, which has been such a big change in in Fulham's season? I think those two signings, uh, Target releasing Sessignon, Mitrovic coming in, along with Tom Kearney coming back from fitness because obviously first eight weeks or so of the campaign, he, he was out. I, I think that's the big change really that's given Fulham this impetus where they've gone on this incredible run and uh, and has lifted them to the final. Do you think they were guilty of being trying to be a bit too clever behind the scenes with the algorithms? I mean, presumably looking at clubs like Brentford who have a kind of gigantic stats cave filled with analysts. Um, it's a good question. I, I think obviously you want to try and get as, as much bang for your buck as you possibly can and Shahi Khan spent a lot of money with Fulham in the Premier League signing players like Mitroglu that, that didn't work out £12 million I think he spent on him just a few months before they were relegated so you can see why they went down that route but you look at the stat side of the game and it's it's ever evolving which is which is great and it brings so much to the conversation it brings so much uh, to the coaching staff and to the recruitment departments but these models, they're not always necessarily 100% watertight and they'll get to the point where they are. But I think with Fulham, they, f- they found someone who had his view of the game um, and you know you need to apply both together, don't you? You need someone watching matches, scouting players, learning about their, their mentalities, how they fit into that dressing room, everything else. And then you need someone who looks at the numbers and, and analyses that side. And Jukanovic has certainly kind of... He's put his mark on the team now, you, you feel. Um, what kind of mark is that? What kind of manager is he? Mitrovic stepped forward again, and, and that's what comes back to the mentality of players. The fact that he has been able to get from him the optimum. You get everything from him in that box now, and that he's been able to craft those other players around him to make that moment work. For, for Sessignon at times, I've been a bit confused, but it kind of feels like... He gets Sessignon now and they're still, for me, I think sometimes they leave space um, out wide which which teams can exploit and I think that's where Villa may exploit them a bit and I think Villa, perhaps on set pieces too, might, might do well against Fulham. So there's still fallibility there but they are so brilliant to watch and if you sit with, as I was lucky enough to, to sit with a couple of Fulham fans after the, the win against Derby and they too are just enthused about it now and they believe now. And that kind of, I think Jukanovic was, was something like six years old when Fulham were last at, at Wembley. And he understands the club. So crucial. And there's always the point with these these tipping points. There's, there's a brilliant piece on the BBC Sport website, if you get the chance to look at it, at how playoff teams fare in the following seasons. Something around about 53% do far worse in the following season. And this is crucial now for Fulham because you kind of get the feeling what happens to them if they don't get up, what happens to Jukanovic because there's bound to be other clubs looking at him. Well, he's been linked with Chelsea, hasn't he, this week, which is enormous news, really. And you look at Fulham and... That situation with Craig Klein early in the season, the recruitment side, they could have lost Jukanovic yeah. h- halfway through this year. And now he's been linked with, with the Chelsea job for the style of football that he's got Fulham playing, for how competitive they are, from bringing through young players like Sessignon. He's a manager who should probably be a, a much higher level, it has to be said, and uh, hopefully he gets there with Fulham. Well, he's got unfinished business, hasn't he? Because uh, he has already taken the team into the Premier League, only to not actually be there when they got there. Yeah, it was a strange one with Watford and uh, the way he left them. And he said he, he just felt that the Potso family 
didn't really have the faith in him, didn't really want him as much as he should have been wanted after getting him into the Premier League and, and that's why he left and uh, clearly with Fulham, uh, you know, he does believe that he has that backing now after the changes that have been made off, off the field there. So, Obviously, if they get promoted, I mean, if Chelsea come in, he's going to go there, isn't he? Former player, uh, sounds like he has quite a close relationship with the owner there. But other than that, he probably will stay with Fulham if they get to the Premier League. All right, let's address the superstar in the room who we kind of deliberately didn't lead with because <laughs> that's where everyone's going to go. But Ryan Sessegnon, the one-man argument for staying at the, the smaller club rather than you know moving into Manchester City's under-18 side. Um, Matt, you've seen a lot of him this season. He's not a bloody left back, is he? What is he? <laughs> he's not a left back. What is he? That's a, that's a great question because he could play in so many different positions. He's such a versatile player, and he's one of those players where, if you're that technically gifted, you can slot into so many different roles. And in because he's so young as well, he is adaptable. He, he isn't entrenched in a certain position, and he doesn't have that inflexible inflexibility. Um, I would describe him as a technically gifted wingo with the finishing skills, the poaching skills of Pippo Inzaghi. And I was listening to Richard Hughes on the uh, Galazzo pod the other week, and he was talking about facing Inzaghi in training at Atalanta and how he'd have five touches all game, and Hughes would think he's done a brilliant job, and then two of those touches would have been goals. (laughs) And it's the same for Sessegnon, it really is. And it was the same against Derby. He barely had a sniff in that first half. I think he even had fewer touches than uh, than Bettinelli, obviously, in in the Fulham goal. But he kept putting himself in the right areas, uh, scored obviously that great goal. Incredibly intelligent player. His awareness on the pitch, just finding those pockets of space. And, and when I went to watch Fulham against Villa earlier in the season, it was the same story where he was up against Twanzebe, the Villa right back in the first half. Twanzebe on loan for Man United had a fantastic game. But second half, Sessegnon just kept drifting into those positions, just drifting inside, finds himself on the, uh, the penalty spot and, and, and scores the goal that sets Fulham on the way to the victory. Right areas is is right, Matt. He he does so much work off the ball, and, and clearly he's got pace to burn, and, and you know he he can make those those areas perhaps when when others can't catch him up. But he just thinks right, and what he's done, or, or what it's allowed him to do with Fulham, is to be a bit protected. And I'm so glad that he stayed at Fulham. And again, that's why I would hope if they get promoted that he goes another season with Jokanovic and stays with him too in, in that slightly protected and guarded an area of expectation. And there was a lot, again, written about his his stats this season, some 81 appearances and 23 goals that he's had at, at this level. And then they compared it to Gareth Bale, who'd had with Southampton 45 appearances and five goals. And I know it's a bit of a, maybe a false comparison because then of what, what Bale then did and, and the change in where he played for, for Spurs, but I just think he has about him that level of football intelligence that you can already see he's smart. I think that's absolutely key as well, that comparison to Bale, because they aren't necessarily the same sort of players. But you look at Bale's career path, and that's why you really want Sessegnon to get promoted with Fulham and stay there next yeah. season, even for a couple of years, working with Jukanovic, who really is getting the best out of him. Because Bale, he was such a talented player at Southampton when he came through, but Spurs almost broke him because there was that run where he he well, he didn't win a game with Spurs for was it thirty odd matches? Thirty odd games, and, and and by all accounts, by people close to it, Harry Redknapp was generally uh, genuinely getting to that kind of oh Jesus, he's a curse. We talked about selling him to to, to Birmingham as well, I think it was, and if the same happened to Sessegnon, it would be such a disappointment for for Fulham, for the player, for anyone who enjoys watching a superb talent and, and for England, obviously, because he's been talked about how he's on that path now that uh, that the FA have tried to put in place to, towards the first team and he, he, you know, he, he looks like someone who could be an absolute world beater. I always go back to that goal against Wolves where the first time you look at it, 
you it's a shot, it's parried by the keeper and Sessegnon taps it in from close range. And then when you watch the replay again, as soon as the shot is fired in, he's running in on goal, just in case. By the time it's parried, he's sprinting. There's no one who's going to get anywhere near him. That's Sessegnon. He's so switched on and intelligent. It's that line about showing him, isn't it? The first yard's always in his head. And, yeah. and that's so true of Sessegnon because he's just aware of everything that's happening around him at all times. And you watched him against Derby in that first half and it was a difficult tie that for Fulham. Really was. Derby were excellent considering the, the form that they'd been in in the second half of the campaign and they gave him a real test. But Sessegnon just didn't look flustered at all. I mean, a lot of young players at that age would have been frustrated and thinking, I'm not getting a kick here. And he just kept going and kept getting the, the right positions and, and then scored that goal. All right, that's Sessegnon and Grealish that, that we've gone over there, the, the two stars. Um, but there are under underrated, sort of understated players in these two teams. Who's your favourite kind of cult? I was listening to them in the early days kind of player from these two teams. <laughs> I'm going to go Matty Target, I think, for Fulham. Uh, and just because I'm calling him Matty. Yeah. Um, what what he has done and the... the I don't think he's underrated by Fulham fans at all, but I don't think we talk enough about him and I think the the shape that they've they've taken on and where they've found their most success for me is, is through Target. I'll go for Kevin McDonald at Fulham. Oh, I yeah. think he's uh, every bit a Premier League player. And you look at the career he's had, he was tremendous for Burnley. Uh, he got Wolves back into the championship when he was there and he's been a driving force for Fulham, an absolute leader in the centre of the pitch and just balances out with Johansson and Kenny so well in that midfield three. Uh, I'm just going to throw in shouts for Mile Jednak, who mm. you'd love to play on the same team, and uh, poor old uh, Ahmed Al-Mohamedi. Oh, he's brilliant, Al-Mohamedi, isn't what he? What a player. I mean, been there, done it so many times. Just the, the importance of having someone you can just rely on. You know what you're going to get. Cheers, Ian. it's time to speak to joe crilly from william hill joe how are you i'm very 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 good ah marked improvement in all the time you've been away (laughs) (laughs) what a game we've got to kick off the playoffs villa against fulham i guess you're not doing odds for it being a really good game of football no no, but I imagine that that would be a very short price. But we've uh, we've got Fulham uh, as the slight favourites to win this. They are four to six to uh, win by any method. Villa eleven to ten. But as with all of the playoff finals, incredibly close. Uh, if you're looking at the ninety minutes market, eleven to eight for Fulham, nine to four for Villa, and the draw twenty-one to ten. And what's what's noticeable about all of the playoff finals is that we don't have an odds-on favourite to win in ninety minutes. Uh, so these games are all incredibly tight. And this uh, Ryan Sessegnon chap, we've all been hearing so much about. He's supposed to be a bit good. What odds can we get on him to uh, to score first? Yeah, he's not a bloody left back either. <laughs> he's uh, not he's, a bloody uh, left back. <laughs> <laughs> he's the uh, he's the nine two second favourite to open the scoring in the game uh, for Fulham. Uh, Mitrovic is the seven two favourite, and you can get thirteen to eight on him to score any time. Lovely stuff. That's Joe Crilly from William Hill. Joe, are you going to uh, join us for the last match of the season? Uh, yes, I will indeed. Excellent stuff. Well, I'll see you next Tuesday, sir. Thank you very much. I look forward to it. All right then. Where do we see this one going, Caroline? My heart had said Fulham, but I think my prediction went with Derby because of the quality that they had in the last game. Uh, But I think Fulham, having shown that they can beat that level of quality, will unlock Aston Villa and I just see Fulham having the edge. 
Matt, do you agree? <laughs> I, I think it's going to be a really interesting contest. I know you just want a quick answer, but I'm going to labour this. Uh, because it's one of those matches where we want it to be brilliant, don't we? Because yeah. two sides, two con- contrasting styles of play, and it's going to be an attritional trudge. It absolutely <laughs> is. It's going to be Villa playing for every set piece. It's going to be <laughs> Fulham trying to break them down, passing it around, tippy-tappy football. Uh, I think Fulham will win, though. I think the way that they came back against Derby, that will have given them so much belief. And I still think Villa lack that goal score, that focal point to really test Ream and Adoy, who who can be got out, certainly. Oh, two teams that have given me so much pleasure this season, but uh, someone's got to lose, and we will find out 5pm on Saturday. Aston Villa versus Fulham. If you're off to Wembley, have an incredible day. All the very best of luck. And remember, if you do lose, at least you still get to listen to us next season. Well, that's better than 90 million of TV revenue, isn't it? We will be back next week for the last show of the season, but there are two more playoff previews out there, or at least there will be very soon. Have a look out for them. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, dear listener. See you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.